Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be giving you guys an update on the Thunder's current draft workout list. I got four new prospects to talk to you guys about but we also have another prospect who I've talked about before in Renz Blindberg. He actually went on another Thunder podcast down to dunk. You guys should check it out. One of the best guys really just in the podcast market in general, but he went on there and he talked specifics on what went down in his OKC Thunder workout. So we'll talk about both of those things in today's episode. We're going to start out with the four prospects that came into the Oklahoma City Thunder's workout process over the past, I think now like five days. And I'm going to start out with two guards, Chris Duarte out of Oregon and Trey Mann out of Florida and these two guys they might ring a bell with some with others whatever right like whenever I first heard the names I kind of had a little hint of who they were had to do some scouting on them both and I got some evaluations for both of them and it starts out with Chris Duarte out of Oregon he's a six foot six 190 pound wing but here's the kicker this guy's already 24 years old and we found this out through chase hughes that is the source i found this this was on the 8th of july but yeah that is what we found out with duarte and with the ducks he averaged 17.1 points 4.6 rebounds 2.7 assists 1.9 steals and he did all of that in 32.6 minutes a game and when you look at chris duarte there's one thing that sticks out, obviously. This guy is 24. Are you going to find any other 24-year-olds in this draft pool? I honestly don't know. I was going to go out and say he's the oldest guy in this draft class. That's kind of blind talking. I tried searching it. Every single person that talks about Duarte just calls him one of. That's a very safe way to put it. So I'm going to put it the exact same way. He's extremely old. And I'll tell you what, for a first-round prospect, you're not going to find anybody as old as Duarte because... Even the old heads you used to find, like the seniors of last year's draft class, they weren't 24 years old. Desmond Bain for the Memphis Grizzlies, I think he was 22 when he got drafted out of West Virginia. This guy's 24 immediately. So this is a guy that you'd have to plug in and your hope is that his floor is so high that he'll be fine. He'll be up and running and you still think there's some sort of potential left with him, but He's a guy who, obviously, if you're that old and you're considered a first-rounder, you have to have a lot of special sauce, and he has some of it. A lot of it just comes on the offensive side of the game, though, and it comes from the progression, really, because in his junior year, he shot 33.5% from distance. It's not bad, but if you're looking for a shooter in a draft, 33.5% is nothing. That's that's something you kind of stash. You're looking for the 40% snipers, and that's exactly what he did last season with the Ducks. He shot 42.4%, and he shot 5.5 attempts per game, so he was just rattling shot after shot off, and it wasn't just the simple catch and shoot, and he did that a lot. That was one of his primary kind of go-to moves, but on the dribble handoffs, coming off of screens, he was able to pull up and get his shot off very cleanly on a consistent basis so that's really what you're banking on with getting um getting a guy like Duarte and I still see him more as that like perimeter guy you just spot him 
uh, out at a wing or whatever, but he also is kind of fast. He can speed up when he sees an opening in the lane, and he's surprisingly athletic. You don't see it a ton with Duarte, but he can actually fly up there and put a guy on a posterizer. So that's just one thing you talk about. I think the main deal, though, is you want to look at this guy as a perimeter threat and even working in the mid-range, just a three-level scorer in general. And I think that's why I kind of associated him with a player kind of to the mold of Desmond Bain, where Desmond Bain in college, he was a shooter and he was a defender, a very, very good one. He's already old. The Grizzlies, I think they might have even traded to 30 to pick him up, but they did so. It was a great move because he shot over 45% from three. It was, it was around there. He was like one of the top three-point shooters in the NBA, and it wasn't on fluke percentages, averages. He was taking multiple threes a game, and he was fine defensively. So that's that high floor you look for in the older prospects. Think Duarte, that's what you think, um, obviously, with him, but... Yeah, a lot of it just has to do with if he's able to shoot the basketball and if even on the defensive side, he can stay consistent because 1.9 steals per game, that's solid. He had those moments where he was dominant pressuring the basketball, but he also had some other moments where he would kind of get torched on the defensive end. And that's really where you go into the weak points with him and the weak point already established. It's something that's not in his control. You can't control your height. You can't control your age either. So nothing's changing. That time, that clock, it's moving just like everybody else. He's going to be 25 in his sophomore season. That's just how it is. Maybe he might be 25 in the middle of his rookie season. But regardless, he's extremely uh, up there in age. But when you look at him, I do think the defense is that only part where you think, uh, maybe he could use a little bit of tinkering there because you don't know how many positions he necessarily can defend right now. I think the two, he has it. He's shown time at the three, but you want to make sure he's kind of that one through three prospect. And at six foot six, you're kind of in that frame where that's actually possible. So he's going to need some work on that side of the ball. I think offensively though, you look to him and you want to find him as kind of this just sturdy foundation building block per se you can have off a bench. And this is more for a playoff team, to be quite honest with you. And when I look at the draft class, I look at a team maybe as high as the Warriors. And this is a pipe dream situation for Duarte because I didn't even have him in my top 18 mock. I think I'm probably going to have some updates to that because of some of these recent stories. But I think 14 is where anything could really begin with him. I think anywhere before 14, it might be ridiculous. But the Warriors, they're in this spot right now where I don't necessarily think youth is of utmost priority. And I could be completely wrong. Maybe they don't want to go after the Davion Mitchells or the Duartes. They want to go after the Giddies or just whoever's 19, 20. They want to have some backup plan for the eventual moment Steph Curry and Klay Thompson kind of start turning away in their careers, whatever that may be. But I think if I'm the GM and if I'm kind of trying to imagine what they do, they want to go get win now pieces. And if they can't flip these draft picks for players, I think Chris Duarte is a guy that you could try to take that little hit on and just picture him coming off the bench. They don't really have a surefire sniper 
right now because they uh, they don't have Kelly Oubre. He's hitting free agency. Andrew Wiggins, he's a flaky three-point shooter. And even the other guys, I think they picked up Kent Bazemore on the roster, but he's probably just going to be a one, one-year contract. So I don't expect to see much out of him leading on into the future. And then even other guys, I know like the Jordan Pools, he's had some ugly performances nico Mannion. there's just not that foundational piece at the two or three uh in that bench unit so i think that's where it begins like i talked about you throw him in if he ever has to play with the starters you got steph curry you have clay thompson that's a that's a perfect sidekick gig like just just, you just gotta hide away and i think the way he plays just so perimeter centric it fits perfectly there so if they were at like 18 19 i'd say warriors at 18 19 it's a surefire deal but that's where i begin with him and then i do think he kind of falls back he could be one of those people that slides till the back end of the first round but to see him in the second round i don't think it's going to happen and when i look at the thunder's needs i don't necessarily know if chris duarte is of the utmost importance to us because we already have a decent bit of guard production anyways you have sga Teo's there ty jerome is there vit is there um and then even a guy like kenrich williams too like just those people i know kenrich i think he's 26 maybe even 27 now is he expected to be part of this full term rebuild probably not i think he could be one of those like trap like draft day guys who just happens to get moved so they could use another two and Duarte could be that, but do you want someone to be 24 when your primary star is 23? And that's that's actually a stupid point, but I feel like if you're going to be the Thunder, you don't want to go after the immediate guys who's making that impact. You want to go after the projects who potentially are going to be amazing at 24 years old, because you know what you have in Duarte. Maybe you go after, like I said, 19 years old. They're going to finish their rookie contract, and they're still not going to be 24, so that's my route. I'd probably pass on a guy like Chris Duarte, but he does make sense, especially for any sort of team looking to make a statement potentially in like the playoffs or whatever the case may be. Moving on though, I want to talk about Trey Mann out of Florida. And this is a guy I love. I was looking at the film of him. I'm a big Trey Mann fan. He's 6'5", 190, and he's 20 years old. He posted on his Instagram that he was in the Thunder practice facility. So that's where I got that. That was on July 7th when the news dropped of that. But in his year with the Gators, he averaged 16 points, 5.6 rebounds, 3.5 assists, 1.4 steals. And he did all of that in 32.4 minutes. So he had a lot of usage with this team but that is a, a big strong point with him because Trey Mann, a year ago, he had those little moments, I guess you'd say. But as a freshman, you didn't look at Trey Mann and think he was a first round prospect. Hell, maybe even a second round guy. That's why he had to return because he just simply was not playing. He, he wasn't producing that well either. He averaged 5.3 points really off a bench roll with the team, but he just broke out this last season. Averaged 16, like I said. 5.6, 3.5, like those are really good numbers he's rattling off, and he had very solid efficiency. And the improvement was drastic. He was a 27.5% three point shooter in his freshman season, shot 40.2% last year. 
So it makes sense why I'd want to leave right now. He is on the the top when it comes to his draft stock. So he's going to be hitting the draft boards kind of with that in mind. All the improvement we've seen from year one to year two. He's only 20. You hope the progression just seamlessly fits into the NBA. And if that, you know, continual progression is on that curve or whatever it is, he'll be very good. And if you find him in a mid first round selection, that is an absolute steal. And that's where I see him because he has a skill set of a lottery guard. He is a shot creator. He's very good with a quick handle. But one of the best things that he does is he's able to just start sprinting at you and then he'll stop and he'll pop or he'll step back. And I am, I'm in love with step backs. Whoever has a decent step back three, I'm going to rate you highly. Jalen Green's step back is unparalleled in this draft class. No one is even close to this man. I think Jalen Green's a star, right? I think that Trey Mann, his step back is not nearly going to cover as much ground as a Jalen Green. He's not as fast as Jalen Green, but it's almost like that SGA step back where you get someone with their pants down for like that split second and you get the room, you get that shot off. And it doesn't matter if it was like a tiny bunny hop because SGA, his step backs aren't going to make a ton of ground, but it's, it's very, very efficient as we've all seen, but he's good at those step back threes and that's a very important part of the game, especially right now. You want to have as many players like that on the Thunder who can contribute on the ball, but also potentially off the ball too as a spot-up shooter. And that 40% three, that is, that's the kind of numbers that you want to see out of someone like him. When you kind of look away from just a three-point shooter because there's more to that, especially as a point guard, he's very good working in the pick and roll. And he had a center in Colin Castleton. If you guys watched the second round game between the Gators and ORU, that guy was a lot taller than what it seemed. Like, I thought he was 7'4". Nah, he's 6'11". But he was cutting inside and doing all this and all that. Trey Mann just needs to get a high ball screen from him, and his reads were exceptional. Whether it was him trying to take a floater, him kicking it inside to Castleton, or him just outright kicking the ball out to the three, he's very good at making those calls, and when he wanted to take it by himself, he was excellent. I love his floater. Very soft touch on there, and that's kind of one of those moves that if you have it down pat, it's going to be an absolute nightmare for some of the defenders. Floaters in general... You don't think of him that much. It's not flashy, but if you can get it done, you're you're scary. And he has that. He has the three. When you look at his weaknesses, though, it's a little bit more. Um, it's a little bit more kind of in the a different spectrum of things, if you'd want to say. And I like him creating space when he's moving backwards. But when he's stuck in a one-on-one setting and there's no screens. I don't know if he's the best ISO guy currently because he doesn't have a really quick burst. The first step is not a big pro with him. It's it's not that amazing. Like turning the corner could be an issue because of that. And the moves are decent, but still, you don't have that elite speed to just blow right by defenders. So he needs to work on that a little bit. Um, but I, I do like this step back. So that's kind of one of those moments where you know, you already have a solid core a little bit. You just need to grow into like an, a mediocre, maybe above average quick first step guy. And you're probably going to be patched up perfectly fine. But that's what 
I kind of look at. Also, athletically, he can go up for dunks. He doesn't show that side of his game a lot, though, so I'll put that as a little bit of a deal. But defensively, too, he he needs help, and that's the big thing. Like Offensively, there's so much potential with him. Defensively, you need a lot of work. He's raw when it comes to closing out, when it comes to switching. He's not always that guy, and even on one-on-one, uh, on on his man he can't stay on his man sometimes and that's a major issue so I don't know if he'd be someone you'd want to put in like a blue system for like a month or two they thought about it with Teo Maladon and they did it with Ty Jerome and it worked out beautifully for Ty obviously it's a different situation but he he has the wrinkles defensively offensively though he's someone who can kind of be that firecracker bench player just like a Duarte from day one so I actually really like the fit with him I think he is a mid to late first round guy I think as early as you know pick 16 with the thunder you could start to see his name in the conversation I'd say 18 might be the better pick I don't think the Grizzlies would really take a bite with him but yeah I like him I think that he really is the perfect cog to go in with a 6-6 SGA, a 6-5 Maladone, and I think a 6-5 Ty Jerome as well. So you need that fourth player. Obviously, you have Kemba, but I talked about it with Vitt. Um, You know, you kind of just look at him and he's there, but it's not, it's it's like an extended stay. He's not going to be there long term, and, and that's just how it is. But moving on to two other guys, that the Thunder worked out. These guys aren't as kind of flashy. And these two names, they're not really even projected to get drafted in most cases. It's Brandon Rachel and Carlick Jones. If you're a TU fan, you might know who Brandon Rachel is because he played there. He averaged 15 points, 7.2 rebounds, 2.2 assists, and 1.6 steals. So he was all right. Um, But yeah, he's a senior, 21 6'6", 220 pounds, and he's a guy that I think you look at as an undrafted signing, not even a signing, I think he's a summer league person, and he's kind of that blue, blue type of player. We had Melvin Frazier Jr. from last season, and I don't know exactly uh, how these people sign contracts in the G League, whether it's a one-year deal, whatever it is, Melvin Frazier Jr., I don't know if he's going to be back. I love him. He's one of my favorite players, and I'm not even kidding. He didn't play too well in the bubble, but he's a beast. I think as a three-point shooter, as a finisher, he has some potential. And then defensively, he's kind of like that 3 and D wing, and you need more and more of those. I think the Thunder, they kind of kept digging in the first round for players like that, and it just didn't work. They're starting to do that in the G League now with how they're assessing some of the talent. I think Rachel's kind of that plug-in guy if someone like a Melvin Frazier does indeed walk away because he's turning 25, uh, I think, in a couple weeks now. So he's, just like I said, a guy you project to be a 3 and D wing. Defensively, he's lengthy. That checks the box. Good when it comes to rebounds. And in the American Athletic Conference, when he got a rebound, no one was contesting him right around the basket. So he could just flip it right up and right in but the three is kind of that little determining factor it determines whether or not he's going to be playing probably 
in a G League setting or what whatever it is. Maybe like a Charlie Brown Jr. is who he'd be modeling after. Try to get a 10-day slip in a training camp invite. But yeah, 31.4%. It's not terrible. He was not a very good shooter before that. So I guess it's more that gradual improvement and you're banking on him turning into something there. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what you look at offensively. Defensively though, like I said, lengthy. And when it came to steals, he was all over the place in some games. He had five, he had one five game steal and they had four, four game steals in his season with TU, but he's still raw and he's, he's 21. So he's not outrageously old, but he's raw and it starts from three. I don't think he's a perimeter guy right now. I said three and D wing. He has some long strides he'll need to take to even be in that conversation because he had games where he's shooting one of seven, two of eight. This was a common occurrence for him. So he wasn't lasering out four of six games. I think the best shooting performance he had legitimately was a two of three performance. So he'll need to work on shooting. I bet that's probably one of his bigger priorities because he is pretty solid in every other facet of the game for the most part. Other deal though is handling the basketball. He's not the greatest. So if you're expecting him to be like this wing two or three who's able to get the ball at the wing and drive in, you're probably mistaken because he had a lot of those five plus turnover games. Six out of the 27 games he played, he had five plus turnovers. So I don't think he's going to get drafted. He is kind of that um, that G League pickup though for the OKC Blue. I wouldn't mind that addition whatsoever. And another guy I wouldn't mind either is Carlick Jones out of Louisville. He's six foot one, one eighty five, and twenty three years old. And for the Cardinals, he was good. Averaged right around seventeen points, five rebounds, four point five assists. He's a senior though, and I mean I look at him just like I did with Rachel. He is probably the guy you look at at a summer league or a G League spot. If Xavier Simpson leaves, maybe you put him in there because he does resemble Xavier Simpson a lot in my eyes because he's kind of burly despite his frame. He likes to initiate contact inside. When he's slashing, he's always looking to find people at the perimeter. And then sometimes you even try to work out from three. He's not great at it though. So he, he needs to have that um that kind of established but i like him as a finisher mid-range is decent he's more that passer type that you're kind of looking for and um even from the free throw line too he was shooting all right so maybe that's a good indicator 80 percent in the last two seasons the weakness point though is just how he plays he's not the fastest with the basketball in his hands the pace slows down and needs to be centered around him so that's why i think the G League probably is the best step for him, but he was impressive in the G League Combine. That's where he initially started. That's a field of, I think, 40 different players, um, but yeah, he got put in there. He had 23 points in his first game. That might have been the camp's high, and it gave him enough of a, um, a kind of attention that GMs, executives, they wanted him in the legitimate Combine, so he got a take part in that as well i see him more as maybe a late second swoop or just undrafted but uh, but yeah kind of same boat as the um the other guy in brandon rachel so you had terrence mann chris duarte those two are first round selections 
and you have two guys that are probably going to be in the undrafted category so if there's any new guys like always i'll always keep you updated but that was just the latest scoop on those four but moving on to the big story of today i want to talk about vrenz blindberg and his discussion he had with andrew schlecht from down to dunk already talked about it you gotta check them out this was a episode that you just don't want to miss out on it wasn't just them talking to friends. They were chatting, I think, about Kawhi for a little bit. Draft evaluation was also on the card there. But it's like over an hour of audio. So it was a great, great listen for me. But I wanted to really break down what Vren said in his interview with Andrew because it kind of was just so, so much was said in like a 13-minute span. If you don't crunch it down, you're probably going to miss out on a little bit. So I want to do underline kind of every everything he was saying and kind of condense it relay it uh whatever the case may be but i wanted to just reiterate a little bit of what friends was talking about and in this interview we got really exclusive access to what actually goes on with the thunder in the off season and just in general because nothing comes out of there it's so closed doors and in the off season where there's so many smoke screens you're definitely not going to hear much. And this is just what a draft workout looks like for the Thunder. So this is not really a big secret. Like this is something you might tell someone when you're like five years old. This isn't a crazy secret. It's like, it's nothing. It's nothing, but it's still cool to talk about. So I want to talk about it. Anyways, though, in the, uh, in the talk with him, he said that the Thunder workout was the first one that he had originally when he came over to the u.s from belgium he had three workouts scheduled now he has 13 on the pallet but originally it was just three and he came over for this event first time in america because he wanted to be in the actual draft combine he had the invite there was something wrong with his visa it got passed it got cleared on july 4th and he was over in oklahoma city so he came over slept in a hotel for one day And then the next day, he actually got picked up from the hotel by a familiar face in Vit Krejci. And Krejci's been in the news just a little bit here and there. He got bought out. Clearly, he's going to be part of the future. And that just got cemented through this little tidbit because you're not going to bring somebody you're cutting off the team. Vit Krejci picked him up and kind of just showed him around town. And he said that Vit and himself were actually really good friends and it dated uh, a little bit far back so just already having the relationship from the get-go i gotta imagine that's a pretty good start to a workout but he got in there and he showed him downtown showed him the practice facility and just showed some good places to maybe hang around in the city so he was really getting used to it he said and he said he enjoyed it after that part he had a workout with Vic Krejci. Now, one thing, if I could have one question to talk to friends, I would ask him what was going on with this workout because I'm really curious as to what is going on with Vic Krejci in terms of his health. And he tore his ACL back in the uh, back end of this, uh, September of last year. Typically, that's going to take you out for like 10 to 12 months. And he's kind of on that fringe now where... He might actually be in five-on-five on on full-body workouts. So I'm curious. I'd assume so if, you know, he's going into a major draft workout the next day. 
but I'm not going to assume. But he had this little workout, and that was about it for the day. And then the next day, that is when you had the official workout with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And he thought it went pretty well. And he said he had a talk with the coaches, trainers, and staff members. And then he said, here's the money quote. I really liked OKC a lot. And I'll go into that because he did talk more on what specifically went on in the workouts and what went on in talking with Vic Credci. And Credci, he's been through the Thunder system for the last year. He's not been on the court, but in every other area you could possibly try to paint things out, Vic Credci's been there. He's been at the games. He's been in the practice facility. He's definitely been talking to the coaches. He's been interacting with the other players. He's part of the family. And that's what he was telling friends about. He said that this organization is really like a family. That's the importance that they put into just everything, all the minute details. And friends, he also kind of aligned with those ideals. So he was very excited about that. And then he got to do the actual workouts. And there was five on five workouts. There was a one-on-one drill. There was a three-on-three drill had a little bit of everything and you even had some shooting drills to go along with it and the big kind of funny story that we got out of this was in the five on five workouts it was the players going up against the coaching staff and he didn't say which coaches i'm gonna assume mark dagnall might have been in the equation he played high school basketball so We'll, we'll see what I don't, I'm trying to think of other guys, maybe like Eric Maynard, if he was part of that too, but they all got in on it. I'm curious as to what happened in that scrimmage. Like, was it just a total decimation where you got like an 80 to zero score or was it close? Was it like a Monte Carlo where this is a story that friends is going to be telling us in five years if he's on the team and we're going to wish we had footage to it. We don't have footage to it. It's probably hidden away somewhere. In a film room because they probably will want to look back at some of those scrimmage tapes but yeah they got to do that with the coaching staff and then whenever he was doing drills he was actually working out with other players who are expected to be taken in the first round which i thought was pretty interesting as well so they got through with all those when you're talking not straight up five on five or basketball strictly he was doing other drills like vertical jump he was doing some speed testing throughout the day and then they walked him through all the different practice facilities that the team had to offer and he also sat down and had a little bit of an interview um, just like all other prospects would have he had an interview with the coach had an interview with the trainers or not the trainers but just people you know, the executives, he was talking with all of them and he didn't talk about questions, but yeah, he said he talked and he thought it went pretty all right. He also mentioned though, that when talking to the coach, which might be Mark Dagnall, I'm just going to say the coaching staff in general, they said they really like his profile and his profile is a six foot 11 guy with guard skills. That's right up the Oklahoma City Thunder's alley. They got a seven-footer in Pokusevsky. They have a six-foot-eight point guard in Vic Krejci. That is a trio you would be running away from as fast as you can. And I'll tell you what, they're probably going to catch up to you. They got some long, long strides. So 
he uh he also talks about like the fit talks about poku even and thought that you know he's probably gonna do pretty well with the organization but um in his overall recap he said that he really enjoyed it he even coined it as perfect and he was talking about that in terms of how they actually set up the the interview and the workout because he said the balls were all in the rack I guess they had it all prepared for him when he walked in and when you came on the court you had to tuck in your shirt no one else has been doing that with him and yeah it was all about the details it's all about the family that's the gist that I kind of got off of everything and one tidbit that we did kind of sneak away which it, it's almost like you know some random theory if you want to bring it up but in talks with Schlecht, he referred to the Thunder as we, okay? And that's the tinfoil hat where you're thinking, okay, he said we, that means boom, he got a draft promise. He's going to be taken by the Oklahoma City Thunder. He corrected himself immediately after, and he has 13 draft workouts. So I'm going to tell you right now, it's not a done deal this man is going to Oklahoma City. But the way that he was talking, oh man, I want this guy in Oklahoma City. Even at the very end of this interview, he was praising people on Thunder Twitter. And if you check his Twitter, he's talking about the Thunder all the time. He's communicating. He's liking posts, replying. He's the man. So when you want a person with, um, you know, a really good personality, Vrenz Blindberg is the number one prospect in this draft class. And I think that's really going to work towards his advantage because he went into this draft as a guy who didn't have much uh much really going for him like at least from name value now he's kind of got his foot in the door definitely in Oklahoma City's fan base everyone's talking about him online the Knicks are talking about him there's going to be a lot of media attention probably going towards Blindberg and he might get that Poku treatment I compared Vic Kregi to Vrenz last year and said you know what if we put Vit into this draft class if he never got hurt he'd probably be in that same group in his friends maybe if he took that same approach i'm just saying that because hell i said that a couple days ago not even knowing they were the really great friends um but yeah that was weird that that ended up coming coming about there with that friendship but yeah um i guess they must have played before he didn't play with pokusevsky he said that he's heard he heard of the name before he joined the thunder and it was just strictly due to you know i mean when poku was playing he was like the second tier of greece and blindberg he's climbing up the ranks he, he might be in the premier league honestly but it was just a matter of um or actually i correct let me correct myself because i think what it was poku's in that second tier he wasn't playing a lot blindberg was in a lower tier but he was getting a lot of the minutes so that's that's the way i wanted to go with it but anyways he hasn't heard of him obviously he knew Vit, so he has connections, and that is extremely good, um, especially from a guy of his caliber, where he's a great basketball player, but he's also a great person. We need to have those kinds of people on the roster, and we don't need any people, you know, trying to cause havoc like um, like a Reggie Jackson. Whenever that feud was going on, that was a that was like a not a black and white story, though. I'll, I'll put it that way. Anyways. That's kind of what I had to say with Blindberg. I did a whole draft profile on him, 
actually when I discussed him, um, I guess when I was running down the names, just every single name, but yeah, I'll just recap it, his game, uh, since I did bring him up, six foot 11, kind of point forward type where he's playing a lot on the perimeter like a Poku, but when he gets the basketball, he can pop it on that catch and shoot, but he can also try to drive inside uh, into the basket. And when he goes from three, he can get hot. Shot 37.5% from distance, shooting on 4.8 tries a game. That's insane. But when he slashed in, he can see over the top of people. He'll throw it to people cutting inside, or he can drive in either hand. He's got a really sweet touch, even though he is right hand dominant. He can get it done with his left hand. And then passing out the pick and roll is a strong suit. Really, when you look at Poku's profile from last year, that's kind of what you have with Blindberg. Not as many like chase down blocks, soaring dunks, but he is capable of doing that. So he's one of these just moldable guys in a really unique body frame. And he doesn't have the attention. He's not a consensus top 10 pick. That's a, a guy where you swing on him. You hope it works out. I might, you know, I saw him as a guy, I'd put it like 34. Now he might be a guy at 18, and I don't even know if I'd be upset about that because of how he's kind of been acting, and I think the play already kind of resembled a first-round draft choice. It was just me getting greedy, thinking he'd slip into the second round. But we'll see what goes on with Vrenz. Has a ton of workouts, concludes with the Bucks on the 26th, I believe, and then he returns to Belgium for draft night but yeah maybe he's in the thunder's grip i'd love to see him in a thunder jersey seems like a great person great player all of that but yeah i mean there's gonna be much more draft talk obviously i think we hit the two week mark now we got 14 days until we figure out who's gonna be in an oklahoma city thunder jersey and i cannot wait there's gonna be a lot more than just you know six draft picks that thunder will be involved in that's at least what I'm thinking. There's no way they go in there, take six picks, and that's that's it. There, there has to be some sort of move. But if there is any move, I'll talk about it. Any rumors, I'll talk about it. I'll be getting you guys news as soon as possible. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.